Jim, I thought you said you were busy. We are, Jason. We're, well, we're, 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 we're going to have a great year. I'm looking around, and I don't see any messy desks. I don't see any paper thrown about. Tell well, me what's going on. Well, first and foremost, it's part of our culture that we have low paper, but... Since we've been using ProShop ERP, the whole tactic behind using that ERP system is to go completely paperless, and we are dramatically reducing our paper flow through the entire facility. So you're not quite there yet, but the goal is to be totally paperless. We're not quite there yet, but we've only been using ProShop now for about nine months. Well, I got to be honest. I mean, most manufacturing leaders, when when I go into their offices, I mean, there's stuff all over the place. Well, Prints I, and everything. You I know? think it, it just it just creates a clean system. If everyone knows how to utilize the system efficiently, then the paperless thing will work. Uh, yes, it's hard for an old school guy like me to not have that print in my hand, but at the end of the day, we're moving in that direction. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. You can call our good friend, Paul. Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your remote host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined by my remote two co-hosts, Jason Zanger and Nick Golner. Guys, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you. Coming in live from my daughter's bedroom. Yes, I'm coming in live from my office study here, and so is Jason. Yeah, I'm in my office as well. Yeah, all this bright lights, like from the skylight, and it's really We're all living within a new normal, and this is our new normal until we can move away from it. Yeah, and we're going to do our best to deliver quality in much the same way we did in person. We're going to try to do it as best we can remotely. You bet. And we certainly are trying to work out the kinks. So uh, again, we're doing the best we can uh, based on the resources we have to deliver a quality podcast to the metalworking nation. So just hang with us and we'll get through this. And at the end of the day, we want to keep equipping and inspiring you. So we're working on it. Yeah. So what, what we're referring to is that typically for about 222 episodes out of 224, we would always record our episodes in person. And we believe that that was a big difference in the quality of the experience of making chips versus other podcasts out there. But now we're pretty much being forced to record remotely. And we don't like it, but we're going to figure out how to do it as best we possibly can. You bet. Guys, listen, that last episode we recorded with President Tony Preckwinkle, I left feeling a little uncertain. I really did. There's one word that stuck out in my mind. What? I hope you didn't cry. Did you cry? Did you cry, Nick? Look, I'm not going to cry, but the word was depression. Yeah, I know. It's a very powerful word. And I, I kind of was a little shocked when I heard that word too. But, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has an opinion on what the fallout of this economic disaster we're in right now. And I I respect her opinion using a a word like that, but I think we need to talk about it. And I think that on this episode today, we've got the perfect guest that can kind of sort all of this economic upheaval out for us and, and really give us some facts 
the real data. Yeah, the real the data is important. I think one of the differences with Miss Preckwinkle compared to our guest today is that you know she's speaking mostly on behalf of the entire economy from the standpoint of somebody who has you know government responsibilities and we we speak to the manufacturing industry and i imagine that there's a lot of people in hospitality and restaurants that are depressed and they don't have they can't see anything positive happening in the future at this moment so i can see where if you just talk about it in general terms it is depressing and there could be a depression. Is it going to be localized within certain industries? Well, you know, a lot of these things just remain to be seen. And I think our guest today is going to help maybe shed some light on the direction of manufacturing, which is why I'm excited about it. Good. Well, before we get him on the show, let's talk about some something good, something good that's happening within our respective companies, our, our respective manufacturing companies, because it's always good to start out, as, as you two well know, when we do our weekly L10 meetings with our leadership teams, we always start the conversation was something positive, positive news. and it's yes. called the positive kickoff. So let's start this episode with a positive kickoff. Jason, tell me something go- good. Well, I mean, what's positive is that our, our two biggest categories of products that we sell are cutting tools, tooling, and then our um, second biggest category is PPE. So respirators, gloves, all that kind of stuff. We're selling a ton of PPE. I mean, honestly, like I've been working from 6 a.m. in the morning. My wife would make me, you know, come to dinner and have dinner with the family, get the kids to bed till about seven. I go back to work and I'm up until 10 o'clock. And sometimes she yells at me and says, you know, you got to work out too because she wants to make sure I stay healthy. But I mean, we're selling a ton of PPE. We see a lot of opportunities. I have to be very discerning about a, a lot of those opportunities. So I'm, you know, doing my due diligence. But so far, things look positive for us. But, you know, Again, like we keep talking about, it's it's a day-to-day battle. So it's hard to look out two weeks a month and, and see where things are going. What about you, Jim? Well, at 3 o'clock today, I'm looking at a, a new 15,000-square-foot building. So it's pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. Last time I was in your shop, there wasn't a lot of room for machines. There was not a lot of room. And we've got two. Do you need all 15 or you need just 10? I don't know until I look at it, Jason, because it's kind of hard to imagine right now, but we, we certainly want to add like for the employees, we want to add like a lunchroom. We want to add a really fully sophisticated inspection area for CMM and temperature control. We want to have conference rooms where we can bring in customers, prospective customers and, and even vendors in discuss in privacy their needs. And of course, we want to have separate offices. Wow, you're going to get your own office? I'm probably going to get my, you know, I really like the the open office concept. I think you should, I think you need your own office. I think. Well, I think there needs to be at least one room that is private. Yeah, that's good. At the end of the day, is it going to happen? I don't know, but I'm looking and we're thinking about growth and it's it's exciting. So good. We'll so Jason, we're going to have our own room, our own conference room where we can tool up all those new machines with cutting tools. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Maybe maybe we can put like a little studio in the, in the new He's really doing it for us. I mean, if yeah, we're out yeah, true. Jim's yeah. doing this for us. Jim is growing so that he could buy more tooling and work holding products. <laughs> you bet. I'm going to need some. How about you, Nick? Well, my good news is actually related to work holding. So we're, we're pivoting like we talked about. You know, how do we find opportunity in the pandemic to – 
learn new skills. And one thing that we're doing is a lot more online training with our sales team. I have an appointment at 2.30 with uh, the Shunk people on their latest products and you know how they can combine those with the things that we do at Advanced, like building tombstones and plates and stuff. So it's going to be about 15 people in that meeting. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. So yeah, that made me feel good. And that's, that's the whole objective about a positive kickoff and sharing the good news, right? So Nick, why don't you tell the Metalworking Nation a little bit what's going on at the Boring Bar? Well, we talked a lot What is that Boring Bar? What is a Boring Bar? What is a Boring Bar? Well, There's a couple of iterations. T- so explain that to us. So a Boring Bar is a, is a cutting tool for boring. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you call the whole horizontal boring mill machine a Boring Bar. That's like a slang term. Yeah, use, you're right. You know? put it up on the boring button. You're you're a real manufacturer to know that. I know, you know. I am, man. Yeah. He's very you've never had technical so, conversations with Nick. He actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he's not just a pretty face. No. No, I'm not just a groupie like you guys call me, right? No. Or you the weatherman. You're that too. Really the the boring bar in our case is our newsletter. We kind of did this play on words because so much of the industry media is boring. Um, we think that we're not Jason thinks he's funny. So, you know, if you want some of that humor and want some of that entertainment, you can subscribe to the Boring Bar newsletter, makingchips.com. You can subscribe there. And there's also a number you can text. And Jim is my go-to because he remembers the number. Yeah. Hey, Metalworking Nation, grab your device right now. Open up your texting app and text the word CHIP, C-H-I-P-S, to 38470. And... It'll send you a link to subscribe to Making Chips just that quick. But can't you just get everything by listening to the Making Chips podcast? Well, it's, it's more than the podcast. So our Boring Bar newsletter contains uh, like a, an original piece that our writer, Christine, writes. It's always very good. It contains any other piece of content if we did any video from, from that week. And helpful links to anything that we mentioned in the podcast or in any, any of our other content. So. Okay, so it's not just a re- regurgitation of the podcast. It's original stuff you won't get anywhere else. That's right. And we actually have a real bar. That's that's the physical headquarters of the Boring Bar. And we talk about it a lot because we're, we're talking about this party that was scheduled for May 14th. Uh, for obvious reasons, we are, we're postponing it. We're not canceling, but we're postponing. And for obvious reasons, we, we have an uncertainty as it relates to the date, but we will keep you in the loop because we'd love for manufacturing leaders to be there. So as soon as we get a new date for our grand opening party at the real boring bar, we will let you guys know. Great. Sounds really good. So I've got some manufacturing news that's kind of relevant to today's guest, and it's from MIT Technology Review. The article says, stop covid or save the economy? Can we do both? It really perked my interest. And, and I read through the article, and I'm just going to give you some of the cliff notes that I extracted from the article. It says, in the first employment report after social distancing measures had taken hold in the United States, the Department of Labor announced that 3.3 million people had filed jobless claims A week later, in the first week in April, an additional 6.6 million claims came in, an unfathomable compared to the previous record of only 695,000, which was set in 1982. Think about that, guys. How crazy is that, that we had 6.6 million claims last week alone? Well, it's today's Thursday. We're going to get the new claims in this week, this morning. But 
last week was 6.6 million. Before that, the the last record was 695,000. That's divide 695,000 into 6.6 million. Whatever that is, is going to be the percentage of increase. Wow. Does that take your breath away? It takes my breath away. It, It does. The economic impact does affect people's health. I mean, stress is is definitely, I believe, a big contributor to people's longevity and other diseases and stuff that can be brought on. And, and you know, this is definitely going to cause some problems for people. So I don't think it's a one or the other. Yeah. It's as, as bad as those numbers are. They are they greatly understate the crisis since they don't take into account part time self-employed and gig workers. What is a gig worker? I've read that three times already this morning. Good example. So like a gig worker would be the person that does our audio editing. So he does a couple hours a week worth of work for us. Oh, he does a couple gigs here and there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's like, it's like a band. A band does a couple gigs a week or something like that. Okay. Gotcha. It also goes on to say financial experts predicted the U.S. GDP will drop as much as 30 to 50% by summer. Wow. Yeah, that's the problem. I know. I, I mean, and this is MIT you're talking, right? It says in late March, President Trump warned against letting the cure be worse than the problem itself and talked of getting the country back to business by Easter, then just two weeks away. Well, Easter, as you guys well know, is this coming weekend, right? We're not even anywhere near to having this to hit the apex as they say this gentleman by the name of casey mulligan a university of chicago economist warned that an optimistic projection for the cost of closing non-essential businesses until july was almost ten thousand dollars per american household that's sobering in itself right so it just goes on and on to, to talk about the agonizing trade-off between saving the economy and saving lives. And what, what they mean is eventually the White House had released some models suggesting that letting the virus spread unchecked could kill as many as 2.2 million Americans in line with the projections of other epidemics epidemiologists. I've heard those numbers, like those big million dollar numbers or million dollar, million people numbers. And um, I've also heard some people refuting some of those as well. So it's, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's going to be hard to really try to predict this. The one thing that, and I told you about this earlier, Jim, my wife was talking to me this morning over coffee and she told me the story that it just came out where they found the initial patient or the, the initial person that brought the virus here to Chicago. And it was interesting to hear the story of how it spread here in Chicago in particular. It was somebody that came in from out of town in February to attend a funeral, shared food, gave hugs and kisses to all the, pe- all the guests at that funeral and spread it to those people. And then um, went to a birthday party a couple of days ago, did the same thing, hugs and kisses, shared food. And then those people went to you know, large events or they went to church and then it just started spreading from there. It's interesting that they've been able to figure out who that particular person is and track the date of those events. And, you know, obviously they're not releasing who the person is or anything about them. But, you know, they've also documented that some of those people that he or she has been in contact with have died, obviously. That would be such a hard feeling to know that, you know, hearing it from you. 
Yeah, you were like, I think they're calling this person patient A1A or something like that. It's not patient zero. Patient zero would be the person that, you know, where the virus originally went from whatever animal we're we're supposing a bat right now. So yeah, it's interesting. So there are a lot of things that we do know. So that we can figure out that are quite interesting that I never thought we could. But what we what we can't figure out in the future is exactly what the repercussions are going to be a month or six months from now. I think we just need to all of us take action and do our parts in the economy and for other people like, you know, the nurses are doing and us are us manufacturing leaders are doing for the economy. And that's all we can do is take action. Yeah. I do want to read this last paragraph because I, I know uh, our guest is ready to go on with us soon. Well, Jim, if you, if you read a paragraph, you're, you're done reading for the week, right? That, that's your line. I am done. That's, that'll be it. Yeah. But no, actually, Jason. <laughs> oh, you're reading that now. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, I haven't started. I haven't started. But oh, okay. But you've looked at the cover. So what we're doing is we're reading a chapter of this every week until we finish it. I don't know how many chapters are in it, but rocket fuel, everybody. It's a, uh... Companion book to Traction, which is all about EOS, and we talk about that all the time. But both you guys have read that book, right? Yeah, I have years ago. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, that's what I thought. So anyway, to to go back to this article um, from MIT, it says one of the biggest fears is that those least able to withstand the downturn will be hit hardest. Low-wage service workers in restaurants and hotels and the growing number of people in the gig economy. For the last two decades, service workers have become an increasingly large part of the labor force as many of the mid-level office and manufacturing jobs previously open to people without college degrees have dried up, says Otter. It's people in these service jobs already low paid and often with few health and other benefits who will struggle most quote on a good day they are vulnerable on a bad day they're even more vulnerable archer says this is a very bad day so i totally got that i read that and i was like oh i mean what does it say about how we can do both though how we can get through this and save the economy does it give any light at the end of the tunnel in the article or quite frankly no it did not it did not give any light at the end of the tunnel hopefully our guest who has just walked into the the lobby of our virtual meeting here is ready to to go and answer some good questions that we have for him and some good data i know he's got some good data so our guest today is an experienced chief economist with a history of working in the government relations industry, skilled in nonprofit organizations, analytical skills, government, economic forecasting, and macroeconomics. He is a strong finance professional with a PhD, well, so he's smarter than me, focused in economics from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. He is responsible for providing regular updates on the economy pertaining to the U.S. manufacturing sector. He also works with others in the Policy and Government Affairs Division to analyze regulatory and legislative actions to ascertain their impacts on manufacturers. He also worked closely with senior level economists and other leaders from our NAM members to gauge their views on the current state of the economy and policy as it relates to their businesses. And he has been highly engaged in briefing economic trends. Please welcome to the show, Chad Moutre. Hi, Chad. 
Hey, how are you? Hey, Chad. Again, we, we've, we've got to do a full disclaimer here for the metalworking nation that listens to our show since its inception five years ago. You, you all know that our mission was to have the most authentic, high quality, powerful conversations out there. And we feel very strongly about doing them in person. But due to the pandemic that's upon us right now in this country, we certainly have to abide by the shelter in place mandates that are with us right now, but we're going to give it a shot anyway. So Chad, it's great to have you on Making Chips today. You're definitely the guy we need to talk to. So welcome again to the show. Even though I'm not in person, I can at least see you. Yes. Uh, this is a podcast, but I can see you. So we can at least uh, have a conversation face-to-face virtually here. Yeah, we do have some video here. So let's start out with these staggering unemployment numbers. What's your opinion? What's going on, Chad? So let's let's put the number that we had this morning on unemployment claims in perspective. We had 6.6 million Americans file for unemployment insurance last week. That's on top of the roughly 10 million workers that we had in the prior two weeks. So you have roughly 16 million, 17 million workers who filed for unemployment insurance just in the last three weeks. That equates to roughly 14 to 15% unemployment right now. Yes, we had a different number released for March, but, but again, those, those were early March. The reality has changed pretty significantly on the ground since then. We have not had numbers this staggering really since the Great Depression, right? Since the early 1930s. To put these numbers in perspective, in the early 80s, we had 10.8% unemployment, kind of in that really downtime that we had then. I'm, I'm old enough to remember it. So am I. Then we had uh, 10%. We peaked out at 10% in the Great Recession uh, in in the 2007 to 2009 recession. So this number is staggering in in its size. But we also, to put it in perspective, we've never had an environment where we've basically told businesses to not operate, right? These stay-at-home orders have really been profound. The service sector has been hit really super hard. Manufacturing has been hit hard as well. You know, certainly many manufacturers have been deemed essential, uh, but many of them really have have really been hit with closures. You certainly see that in the auto sector. You see it in some other sectors as well. And so all those people are filing for unemployment insurance, right? And and, and the CARES Act really kind of helps actually encourage that, right? So these numbers are going to get larger as we move over the next couple of weeks. I know that a, a lot. I, I ask my manufacturing leader peers all the time, what do you see in the pipeline? What is the direction that you see manufacturing going? I ask Jim that on a regular basis. And a lot of them are telling me, you know, things, things seem fine right now. Are a lot of those unemployment numbers really associated with hospitality, restaurants, hotels, those sort of industries? Do you know what percentage might be that versus like other industries? We don't. I mean, clearly the bulk of those unemployment numbers are coming from the service sector. If you look at the even the March numbers, almost all of that really came from the service sector. I do expect that we're going to see well over a million manufacturing workers being impacted by this you know, kind of immediate downturn. So we are going to see a huge hit in the manufacturing sector over the next few months. The good news is, and, and I think this is the key, if there's a sense of optimism here, the uniqueness of this recession is, is that it was caused by really dramatic measures to kind of help stop the spread of the virus, right? The key thing is giving us that bridge to the third quarter, right? Assuming we can start getting whatever the new normal is in the, in the June, July timeframe, 
we need businesses to be able to survive until then, right? That was the whole purpose of the CARES Act. It's the whole purpose of these relief measures that are being enacted in Congress. And obviously the Federal Reserve is taking some pretty extreme measures even this morning. The key thing is just to get them to survive till the third quarter, right? And then things can start coming back online. Even though I think we're going to probably peak out at 15% or more in terms of unemployment rate, by the end of the year, I think we're going to be back down to 9% unemployment. Still not a great number, still a bad number. It shows you the real economic toll that the that, that we're having on the overall economy. But it is a sign that, that we're going to peak out here probably in the next few weeks to a month or so, uh, and then start actually slowly moving back into some progress. Chad, do we have anything to compare this to? Have we ever seen such a sharp increase in unemployment? No. Never. I mean, when you when you said that, I got I literally this is no lie. I got goosebumps. I had I had no idea that we were at around 14 or 15 percent. And believe me, I remember how how painful 2008 was when I had to lay off 60 percent of my staff at my manufacturing company. This it does. I can't believe it's 50 percent worse than it is than it was back then. So just to put the 6.6 million unemployment claims in perspective, right? And and that's on top of the 6 million we had last week, et cetera. We never had more than 700,000 initial unemployment claims in the Great Recession, right? So this is like almost nine to 10 times worse than any number we had in the Great Recession, right? But also just think back to what life was like a month ago, right? We began March with, yeah, COVID was out there. There was maybe some signs that maybe China was starting to stabilize, but we actually began the year on a pretty strong note. And that was still true at the beginning of March. It really, in a matter of just a couple of weeks, the, the, the stock market plummeted about 30, almost 35%. You had this drastic, uh, these stay-at-home measures, which had a drastic effect on the overall economy. So we really went into a bear market, right? Speaking, I guess, of the stock market here, we went into a bear market in a matter of days, in a couple of weeks. Right? Again, we've never had that level of drop-off in activity before. And so that's what makes this particular recession unique, right? It's what has really caused the panic. I do get a sense, though, that you're starting to see that people are, are looking ahead over, over the next couple of weeks and thinking perhaps some stabilization starting to happen, right? The numbers might get worse in terms of the contagion and deaths over the next few weeks. I'm not a doctor. I, I am a PhD, but I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but you know, there, there is that sense out there that, that things will hopefully stabilize and that maybe by the end of May, beginning of June, we can start thinking about what life might look like again, right? Of actually going back to the office or having businesses open again. And, and, and I think that there's an ongoing debate about what that looks like. So Chad, we keep hearing at our companies meetings, we keep hearing this term pent up demand. And you know, some of my dad says a lot, well, hey, I think there's a lot of pent up demand. And when we get through this, we should see a spring back. What's your opinion on that? On that? Is that something we should be looking forward to or? There definitely will be pent up demand. I mean, the fact that we were all kind of stuck in our homes for a couple months, uh, we're going to be very eager to go someplace. My person, my family, we were planning on going to Italy for our summer vacation. That is not happening, obviously, as you might imagine. But we are looking forward to going somewhere, wherever that somewhere is. So there's definitely pent up demand there. But there also, I think, will be a little bit of a new normal. I think we all have to kind of adjust to that. Will we be going? I'm a Cubs fan. I'm originally from Illinois. Will I be going to a Cubs game anytime soon? No. Hopefully I will. Hopefully I will at some point. Everybody may be wearing masks, Chad. I actually live just a few blocks away from Wrigley Field. So if you ever do go to a game, maybe you could contact me. We could meet up. But yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be different when you go out there. 
And I live in D.C., so obviously the Nationals are here, and then they, they are, the, I guess, the world champions, I guess, right now. Yep. <laughs> so uh, will we be going to see movies? Will we be doing, you know, so I think that there's an ongoing conversation about what does that new normal look like and how eager are people going to be to getting back in crowds? But there is definitely a, some pent-up demand there. Well, people are, you know, there's a lot of, I think that there's a, a variation because there's a lot of people that are really skittish about getting together in crowds. But then I think we've also seen a lot of carelessness also. I know particularly here in Chicago, it was in the 70s the other day, and I didn't leave my backyard or my house. I was busy all day, but my wife went out for a drive with the kids and she saw people out there in big crowds at the park, all that kind of stuff. And I was really surprised that people were not taking this more seriously than what they are. And so that's definitely concerning. There's definitely a positive element here. I know we're getting off the topic of economics, but there's definitely a positive element here to people going out and running and doing a lot. You you certainly see people out trying to take advantage of of being nice outside and doing exercise. And that certainly is something that that is allowed. So, yeah. So Chad, going back to the economy, I know my, my company and my wife's company and making chips, and I, I've talked to Jim and his company applied for the PPP. How effective do you think that's going to be, particularly in the small business environment as far as kickstarting the economy? I mean, I, I, I kind of go back to what I said earlier, right? I think the, the effectiveness of the CARES Act is that it serves as that bridge to getting us through the next few weeks and months, right? It does look like, you know, that we had $350 million allowed for small businesses that this SBA can guarantee. And it looks like that number is going to hopefully increase. They're already talking about adding at least maybe another $250 million to that. Background here, I used to be chief economist at the SBA, right? So this, uh, you know, the SBA certainly serves that function. To put that number in perspective, they did roughly, and these are, this is a round number, roughly $30 million in guaranteed loans last year, right? And suddenly now they're going to be doing 600 million if they get 350 plus another 250, right? So this is a well beyond anything that they've ever done before. But it's very, very vital for businesses to be able to stay alive, right? If you suddenly see your payroll, you're still paying your workers and yet you have no income coming in, yet you still have the bills to pay, businesses aren't going to survive like that. And so the goal really here was to be able to provide some footing there for businesses to be able to still pay their bills, get through the next couple months. I think the provision in the, in the CARES Act is also keep their employees, right? And, and then hopefully once things do start getting to the, back to that new normal, you'll be able to, to kind of resume activity. So I think that that's the key part here. Obviously, ramping up a program of that size, especially given the number I just said to you, it's probably 10 times the, the number of volume that they normally try to back guarantee. And they're doing it in a matter of days versus a whole year. So that's a huge undertaking. And I think that they've been working their tails off to get that done. But I do think it's very vital for us to be able to continue to provide that backstop. You also now have the Federal Reserve very much pumping a lot of money into the system. And they also have a Main Street lending program now, which also will help small businesses. I think still a lot of questions about how that is fully implemented. I suspect the banks will, again, provide some, people will still go to their banks to get those loans. But the Federal Reserve is also helping to provide that financing, which will be very helpful. Chad, what kind of special program does NAM have to address what is going on in the economy right now? This is actually, this was going to be a big year of celebration for the National Association of Manufacturers. It's our 125th anniversary. So we were founded in 1895 in Cincinnati, and and we were going to have this huge multi-state tour to kind of talk about manufacturing as a career and to help change perceptions, et cetera, kind of teeing off then this, this huge event in Cincinnati in September. 
that whole thing was called creators want creators wanted right again trying to encourage manufacturing and to change perceptions that obviously is on hold now given the the whole covid-19 crisis and it's been replaced by a, a, another pretty massive campaign called creators respond and really the goal here is for creators manufacturers to be kind of the solution to this problem and so we continue to hear from a lot of manufacturers about hey, I can be helpful. I can make gowns, masks, ventilators, et cetera. The government obviously needs those for this crisis. And so we've been trying to kind of play that liaison between the administration, right? So working closely with the vice president's office, working closely with FEMA and the Department of Defense, and then obviously working, uh, trying to reach out to our manufacturing members as much as we can to see where they can be helpful. So you'll see a lot of information on that coming from the NAM surveys, as well as kind of a daily kind of rundown of what's what, what we're seeing uh, on the ground. Chad, I, I want to move away from one thing because it, this is kind of important to me, and this was my question. Traditionally, across America, our homes are our biggest investment. What are your predictions for the housing market going forward? Are we going to see a, a sharp decline in home values or the mortgage market? I, th- that's under a lot of fire in the last few weeks. So the, the overall housing market had been really in a bright spot before this came on, right? So it had really been in the doldrums for much of the last couple of years, but it was starting to turn around. And actually, we were seeing numbers really that we hadn't seen again since the Great Great Recession in terms of overall activity. Roughly 1.5 million housing starts in the most recent data. And and I think one thing that helped that was the fact that mortgage rates are are low, right? We really were all just kind of enjoying those more lower mortgage rates. And there was a sense that the economy and the job market was still pretty strong. Obviously, mortgage rates are going to stay low for the foreseeable future. But what what is going to really hurt that overall number is, number one, if you do have 15% unemployment rate, right? Or even if you go back down to 9% by the end of the year. If you're, you're, not, if a, you're not making any money, you can't pay a mortgage payment, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that obviously affects people's willingness to go out and buy. And you've seen already, you've seen a huge decline in people applying for mortgages in the last couple of weeks. The other other element to that is you've also have banks, which uh, you call it forbearance, right? You've had a lot of people come to to their to their banks and say, "Hey, I can't pay my mortgage this month or next month. What what will you do for me?" And you've had banks that have really come in and said, "Hey, we'll we'll, we'll be lenient with you, right?" And and banks have actually more or less backed that up, but but have had to go back and see where they can get some additional financing because they still have to pay their bondholders. So I, I think that you are going to see a, a weaker data this year in terms of overall housing starts. We're not going to be seeing 1.5 million housing starts in the in the data that we're going to see over the next couple of months. You're going to see that number come down to anywhere between. And again, I need to go back and look to see what the models are saying, but I would expect it to go back down to 1.2 million or, or, or something along those lines, at least in the, temporarily. And that could start kicking back up again as you get towards the end of the year and beginning of next year. But the key thing is going to be how quickly we can get out of this crisis, right? How quickly we can get back to new that new normal. Again, prior to this, you were seeing a lot of Americans refinance their mortgage, right? Still could happen. That does provide an incentive as well. So, yeah, but they it, the mortgage rates have have been really low for a long time. I remember back in the mid '80s when they were when mortgage rates were at sixteen percent. So we've been enjoying single digit mortgage rates for years. How much lower can it really go? You know, from what it was in 2018, 2019 to what it potentially could be in twenty twenty. So. Well, they're currently around. They're currently around three point three percent is the average for a fixed rate mortgage for thirty years. Um, it might go a little lower, but I suspect it's not going to keep going as low as we might like. 
Hey, Chad, going back to manufacturing, you know, everybody wants to know, well, how is it going to be in two weeks? How is it going to be in three months? What is the best place for a manufacturing leader to go in order to get some data in order to see the trajectory of the manufacturing economy in particular? Because that's what we, we have a fiduciary responsibility to take care of our people. And we want to make sure that we're making the correct decisions. Where do we go to get that data? Is it the, is it the purchasing manager's index or is there some other kind of indice that you want, that you think we should look at? So I'll tell you the data that are out there that I'm going to give you a little bit of, a, of an extra comment here. The first is, yes, the purchasing manager's index data are, are key. It gives you that sentiment feeling that, that we're seeing right now. Obviously, we're going to be getting new manufacturing production data next week on April 15th. So that's obviously the March data. That will be helpful. But again, you also will get a sense from many of these numbers that the dates they collected matter, right? <laughs> Especially in such a fast-changing world. And so that might not show the full extent of the damage yet. And I, and I think obviously the employment numbers are going to continue to get fl further fleshed out in terms of the question you asked me earlier, how much of the loss is in terms of manufacturing versus the service sector, right? So I think all of those kind of concurrent numbers are going to be helpful. The challenge that we have is that the, the situation has changed so rapidly on the ground, the numbers can't keep up. And so we've had to look at a lot of other proxies. And in fact, we're actually engaged in trying to find better proxies, talking to some companies. I think the Fed and other agencies are trying to do similar things. It's trying to see like what is what's happening with freight, right? Those those you know right in real time what's happening. We've had conversations with some of the payroll companies because they know in an instant instantly when someone gets furloughed, for instance, right? Again, there's privacy concerns in a lot of these data points, but to the extent that we can get some additional insights from some of that, that's helpful. We subscribe to job openings data, right? Again, that's not something a lot of companies are doing now, but we've seen the job openings numbers fall pretty dramatically in the last couple of weeks. And so all of those kind of provide some proxy information. We've even talked to some folks about energy consumption, right? Again, those are all kind of proxies for what's really happening on the ground. And I think that we've had to rely a lot more on some of these proxies because so much of the data is a week or two or three weeks old and life has just changed so dramatically so fast that we don't that don't tell you as much as we would like for them to. We've even had some discussions here at Making Chips about compiling marketing data in order to see the the, the direction that, that certain parts of the economy are going into, kind of like a Making Chips analytics. Do you think that there's any, that that has some, some measurements that we could look at or have you guys thought about that? Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, Google searches especially, I think you got to find the right search term there, but I think all of those things are being looked at much more closely now and try to, to gather as much insights as we can. Yeah, so the idea, Chad, behind behind what Jason just described is like, if we could analyze the traffic to all the machine tool builders and all the manufacturing equipment type websites, typically people do some research before they make a purchasing decision. So if we could kind of aggregate all that data, it may be able to predict what people are in the market for and, and future purchases. Right. So we'll see if there's, you know, more of a trend of searching on five axis machines versus people not really making a lot of those searches. Yes, I agree. I agree. And let me know what you find out. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, we all know we're in a, we're in a global economy and I just returned from Germany and they're very slow. Even before the pandemic really got into full speed, they were slow because a lot of it has to do with the automotive market and, and they're transitioning to a certain amount of electric vehicles. And so the whole supply chain is being disrupted by that. 
is there a certain continent or a certain nation that's feeling this more? Is the whole global manufacturing economy dealing with it equally? You know, what's your opinion on that? Well, it's clearly a global problem, right? China appears to be stabilizing, although they they certainly led led this into this. Again, you have to question how accurate Chinese data are, but they appear to be stabilizing a little bit. I actually just released this morning my global manufacturing economic update, so you can actually go on Twitter at Chad Mutre and see that. And you'll see in there that nine of the top ten markets that we sell into actually had weaker PMI data in March than they did in February, right? So this is a pretty broad based global challenge, right? Clearly, Europe was struggling before. And so they're going to be continuing to struggle. The German PMI numbers, for instance, have contracted for 15 straight months, right? So they they, they already were, were weak. They were starting to stabilize a little bit. And that obviously is not the case anymore, right? So many of those numbers are the weak, weakest we've seen since the early 2010s or the Great Recession. Some of them are all-time lows, right? And the key thing for many of those PMI numbers is that Again, they were collected earlier in the month, so they're going to get worse in April. Right? So this is a pretty broad-based global uh, downturn. Again, isn't going to turn around until the, the virus starts to stabilize as well. Well, Chad, it was a pleasure having you on Making Chips. We appreciate your time, and I'm sorry that we went a little bit longer. We just have we have lots of questions. I mean, this is on top of everybody's minds. Everybody's looking at their at their data, their sales numbers, and their activity on a regular basis. And we appreciate you taking the time to just equip the manufacturing leader community with information for them to to really settle on uh, as it relates directly to manufacturing. There's a lot of echoes in the in the media and everything like that, but we really want to know what's going on in manufacturing so we can better lead and, and manage our businesses. So we appreciate you giving that to us. Thanks, and I look forward to being on again, maybe. Yes, I hope so, Chad. In person next time. Wow, you guys, I, I, I am blown away at those numbers that Chad just gave to me. I mean, when when it really hit home because i've i've lived through both of those downturns in the early 80s when chad said that the unemployment rate was at 10.8% and in 2008 when i thought the world was going to end it was only 10% and from what he just told us and you the metalworking nation that now it's at 15% it's 50% higher now than it was in 2008 that gave me goosebumps and it kind of it didn't frighten me. I'm not scared and I'm not going to cry, but it tells you the severity of where we're at and how we're going to get out of it. Well, let me look at this from maybe a positive perspective. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but what if this happened? What if the manufacturing industry really started ramping up? We needed more PPE supplies. We needed more ventilator parts. We needed other manufactured products out there. Now, I know that the Auto manufacturing definitely, you know, is a big part of our economy too. But what if manufacturing really did ramp up and we we're able to employ the best of those restaurant and hospitality workers back into the manufacturing industry, get them trained as machinists? And, they, and you know, even if the restaurants don't come back as quickly, we could still provide some jobs for those people that otherwise don't see any hope out there in the economy. Certainly an opportunity for them to pivot industries right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's many businesses, many industry types that just can't work at all right now. And as soon as we get past this whole quarantine part of the pandemic, that employment rates should shoot right back 
or shoot down, I guess, not up, but the, the unemployment rate should go down. That's the hope. That's the hope. I think one of the differences between now and like 2008 is in 2008, people weren't forced to not work. We just had other big economic problems. I, I don't know. I'm not an expert. Chad certainly is, but clearly you're not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to think that like when, when the tape gets cut off the doors and everyone can go back into the restaurants, a lot of people are going to get their jobs back. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing about this interview is that I'm not an expert. You're not an expert, Nick. And Jim is clearly not an expert. And, you know, we could pontificate on these things as much as we want, but we had a great interview with a great guest who is an expert and hopefully that equip and inspired the manufacturing leaders out there. Hey guys, let's not forget the most important part of this show. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the making chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.